Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I recap the recent Your Life, Your Terms event. We had more people than ever in the room. We crossed over 1,000 people inside, which was pretty cool. That was a just an internal goal for ourselves. I guess it doesn't really matter how many people were there. We just kind of had this cool goal in our minds and we hit it. So we're really pumped about that. And the event overall was a success for myself and the team here. We're all exhausted. Um, I think these things take more out of us than maybe we realize until the week after when we're all just walking around like slight zombies. And I was a little grumpy on the podcast with Nick. I think I'm always a little grumpy on the podcast when I do it with Nick. Um, maybe I'm just being re- real and sharing what I'm thinking or Maybe it's just my current state of mind. I don't know. Maybe I'm just searching myself for answers, but uh, we're just trying to keep it pretty real. And that's how I was feeling when we recorded this. So Nick calls me out on it a little bit. Thankfully, my little brother is trying to help me out. So uh, that's what you can expect on this podcast. So we recap the event. We talk a little bit about some of the concepts and topics we covered on that event and just hash it all on this particular podcast. And if you are listening to this and you're still not a Rockstar Inner Circle member, what the heck are you doing? You can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member and see all the benefits that you get out of becoming a member. It's all listed, a brand new updated explanation of what it means to be a rock star inner circle member. And at the event, when I see people walking around with the Your Life, Your Terms t-shirts, when we get pictures of people wearing those t-shirts from all over the world and emails from people how they're about how they're trying their best to live their life on their terms, it is really inspiring for us. So thank you for everyone who sends those in. With that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, Nicholas, we are post the Your Life, Your Terms event. So we that was the biggest one we've ever done. And that was uh, that was a lot of work. So I guess it's a big shout out to the team to pull that off. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people think they're, they're surprised just that, you know, we do it in-house and we don't have this like small a, team <laughs> event management company running that type of thing and stuff. And they've come a long way. I mean, we've done a lot of them now. We've got a lot of things wrong over time and we probably still get a bunch of things wrong, but we got, we get a lot. A lot of things we used to get wrong, I think we get right now. So, well, I don't know. We try to have fun with it. They, and they have always fun with one it. AV issue. Doesn't matter what. Right. Two times ago, it was the screen. I don't know if you remember. The screen went blank um, for I, a, a, like maybe a minute or so, and I'm like, holy shit! Here but I've go. never been to a conference without an AV issue. No, I know. It's it doesn't, small, big, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, this one was the clicker, but we got it sorted. <laughs> Um, and it was really, I thought it was just you making more, a bigger deal about it than it really was. But then, no. then when you gave it to me, I had to use it. I was like, yeah. Oh my God, this is a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> I walked off the stage. Here you go. Good luck. Um, so look, this is one of the biggest things that I think it was really cool. We had like these great speakers there. Um, we had Bryce there. What was Bryce's last name? I'm I, I don't know if I'm butchering it or not. I believe it's Chess Chuck. It's and like was, SC. S C H E S at the beginning and then C G K. And he was one of the co-founders of uh, Win Mobile. Mobile. Yeah, he was so. a CFO and one of the co-founders. And it, you know, he, he he said that his wife said you can't just be a boring accountant. But from his from his talk, he was not a boring accountant at all. It was it was interesting and it was it was great. He yeah, was he actually, didn't come across like an accountant. No, no, and his story is wild. Oh my gosh, yeah. So that was great. Jeff Booth, we did a special thing for VIP members on Friday night um, up at Piper's with Jeff Booth. That was kind of cool. That was like 140 of us, Jeff Booth, smaller environment where we recorded, um, you know, something there. I don't know if we're going to release it or not. And then we did a live Q and a with rockstar members who were there afterwards. That was really cool. I liked, I, yeah, that I was, really, that was really enjoyed cool. that. And then Saturday we had him on again and he kind of spoke about the, this idea that there's two systems happening right now. There's like a fiat dollar based monetary monetary system that's based on credit. And because it's based on credit, it always has to expand. And then you have the productivity and the tech advancements happening in the world that is trying to push prices down because things are getting cheaper and more, you know, they're being produced more efficiently. So they're becoming cheaper and the two systems are at odds and they're fighting and the tech is trying to push prices down of things is trying to basically what's happening is that you're trying to measure efficiency in a credit based dollar system that needs debt to always go up. 
So you have like these two massive systemic forces just fighting each other right now. And uh, I guess the message is one of them is going to snap. Is the dollar-based system that needs to con continually expand going to snap? Or is the technology-based system that is pushing prices down of a lot of things going to snap? And just from my own tech-based background, I think it's the dollar-based system that's going to snap. You're not going to really stop technological progress. So that to me is a big thing moving forward. And it's, yeah, it's funny because uh, I, I saw this headline that Gary Gensler said, I guess it was yesterday, it says a financial crisis brought on by artificial intelligence will be, in quotes, nearly unavoidable without swift and meaningful action by regulators. So, oh, that's what he's saying. Yeah, but but this, I, you know, I don't know if it's a new, if it's a new scapegoat in town because they always need a, you know, someone, some scapegoat for the financial crisis it can never be them. But, um, but, and I, I didn't go deep into it, so I don't know what he's, he's referring to, but to your point, you know, the proliferation of AI and the speed at which it's moving, bringing the cost of so much, so much, so many things down, the cost of just the production of so much stuff, it, it's forcing more deflation, right? Because even in, in wages and salaries, like the cost to produce now an article, and I'm not saying it's going to be as good as like a professional writer, but compared to someone that was earning whatever level of salary before, this is just as good. And then that salary now gets pushed down. The value of that just gets pushed down because the, the cost to create it gets pushed down. So it just changes. It can change things really quickly from, um, on, uh, you know, from a, deflation perspective, I guess, to, to Jeff's point and what he's talking about with technology and what it does. I think that's, that kind of, this is going to be the story of our generation, I feel like. I told Jeff when we were, at, like at one point when I was talking to Jeff, I was like, once I saw that, because his book explained that mm -hmm. and I kind of got it, but it wasn't until I was listening to him on a podcast somewhere or something that where it just really clicked. And once that clicked for me, I was just like, like my mind was blown and I just, mm. you, you can't unsee it. Once you see that and you understand that, I feel like you can't unsee it because it literally impacts everything, everything you touch on a day-to-day -day basis. Like look at, um, uh, look what they're trying to do with technology, with AI and, and robots in fast food restaurants. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make like, you know. Yeah, have you seen the show? I showed you, I think the video of Chipotle that's testing out the, the burrito bowl that goes around yeah. and robots fill it up all with rice and beans and meat and stuff. And then just there's a human at the end to package it. And it's outrageous. So the cost for that Chipotle bowl, the cost to produce it ends up going. You don't need yeah. any more employees on that line. You don't need to worry about sick days, overlapping shifts, HR issues go down, yeah. everything goes down. But if you have that go down, then the like you, you can't have it in our, the way our system structure to your point. Have so, you seen the Amazon warehouse? Did I show you that one that has no humans? There's an Amazon warehouse that knows, and I told you about a fact. I think Walmart's trying to do one too, from what I saw. And I know there's rumblings out there of Tesla doing a factory, which doesn't have humans in the factory at all, which would also mean you don't need the lights on. You don't need the HVAC to hold room temperature. You don't need a cafeteria. You don't need a parking yeah. lot. You don't need human resources. I mean, it's just wild. Well, in McDonald's, isn't there a location already? Or the test yeah, Seattle or it's, somewhere. Has Texas, like a, but somewhere. Texas, I think it might be Texas. And it's just literally, it's a drive through only, but like the food is prepared and delivered. Like there's nothing, there's no one there. Mm. Like it's just, it's outrageous. So this is- So prices are like, going down, but the credit-based system that we're in with all the debt in the world, it must go up. There's like 400, I think we're just crossing over $400 trillion in global debt. Okay, so explain that to people. So why isn't it a good, so th this ultimately is good, right? The prices go down, so technology pushes the price down of everything. So that's good, so then people can afford more. So what's the problem with it? Well, I guess the problem is if you have, if you, let's just use a simple example. If you have $100, I haven't thought this out, so I hope this comes out okay. But if you have $100 in debt and your income is like, it's a four to one ratio right now. So let's say your income is like $25 and you have $100 in debt. Well, if the $25 is measuring all the economic activity that's going on in your life, the GDP of a country, your personal life, whatever, whatever example we're gonna use, and there's $25 of economic activity, but there's $100 in outstanding debt, how do you generate enough of the, from the $25 to pay off that all debt? That. If, the, if the price if the, of everything's coming. If the economic yeah, activity yeah. that you're measuring is shrinking because of technology and efficiencies, everything's getting cheaper. So really that $25 becomes measuring 24, 23, 22. And then you have a dollar, you have a, you have a, a money 
that is credit-based, the money must expand because every dollar that comes into the system comes into the system with interest owed. So you need more and more and more dollars entering the system to pay off the debt that came before it. So you have an economy that's trying to kind of make things more efficient and prices cheaper, but you have an actual money system that's trying to measure that, that requires expansion. Yeah, well, yes. Okay, so I get that. I just thought of something else because just think of the tax base now. So prices yeah. come down. Just think of the sales tax. What happens if the prices... If it's all robots. Right? Yeah, well, the sales tax, yeah, the prices all come down. So, I mean, there's income tax and stuff to, to consider as well. If it's robots, income tax disappears, so the government still have that for that revenue source. Sales tax start drop, starts dropping, so they, that tax source starts going away. So they have to start looking at other sources to pay off their commitments and their debts to people. And look how technology is impacting us right here. Like, you and I are sitting um, in this podcast. No one's changing the cameras. The camera changes angles in this office here where we're recording and even based, post- on, based on our audio. So there's no human. Yeah. That's, when we started this, do you remember? We used to have somebody in the hallway. Remember? Yeah. On an iPad changing the camera angles. Now that person is no longer needed. We didn't do that for long, to be fair. That was a disaster. It was a disaster, but it's no longer even needed. Yeah. And then post-production to create clips and things like that for social media or whatever. There used to be someone that had to spend a ton of time there. And now there's AI that does that. And it changes the clip based on the, um, the, when the topic changes. So like, is it perfect? No, but it's still need a human. The person that used to change the camera angles, that's a role on our team, but now has to go through those clips and decide which ones to use and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but they're still a human, but you don't need three humans. Yeah. And think how much time it takes now to do that versus what it took before. Right. So it is changed, is changed dramatically because they just look at the clips. The clips are all created and they can just adjust them very quickly on on the platform. And and I think this is the biggest thing that kind of, just I can't stop thinking about it. it's whenever Greg Foss first used that example of there's four to one debt to GDP so there's like 400 trillion dollars in debt in the world going back to what we were talking about and there's like a hundred trillion dollars of economic activity and if the debt at 400 trillion is growing at like five percent well what's five percent of 400 trillion what's 10 40 so it's 20 trillion dollars if I'm doing that right there's 20 trillion dollars in interest owed well, if the GDP is a hundred trillion on a four to one ratio, that's twenty trillion dollars. It has to come out of that GDP. So that GDP, if if a hundred trillion is just going to interest every year, that's hurting the economy. That can't be spent on new development of new things. So how do you overcome that? You try to use inflation or debase the currency so that you artificially grow the economy so there's more dollars in there to pay for all the debt that's owed. Because if you just took 20 trillion a year from a $100 trillion economy, a $100 trillion global economy, to pay for the debt, you've wiped out $20 trillion. You've wiped out 20 trillion of a $100 trillion economy. Do that two or three years in a row, it can't work. You're destroying so many dollars in the system that the economy doesn't exist anymore. There's no dollars in the system to do anything. So let's build- After three years, that's $60 trillion. You're left with a $40 trillion economy in the system. I'm generalizing here on a lot of fronts because you, new money can be created in this kind of world, but at a high level, that's really what's happening. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's extrapolate that out a little bit. So, because we've already seen that. Let's not even talk about from today forward. We've seen it over the last five or 10 years. So then what's happened in that world? So in that world, what's happened is people then are, incentivized because of the way things are things are happening they're incentivized to then take the money that they do have and put it in something that goes up in nominal terms so the the price tag on it goes up it doesn't mean that the purchasing power you know of it goes up so the that you'll buy stock markets or real uh, estate market real estate you know whatever I, I, I mean look for a while it was nfts and, and and whether it's you know bitcoin long term or not but bitcoin and all these other crypto things had a you know had a run there so people were just looking at hey i take this money i put it anywhere because the value of all these different things, which is jumping because this this type of thing was happening. So let's stick with kind of the more, you know, ones that people are familiar with, so, and not NFTs and cryptos, but specifically stocks and real estate. And when you look at those, you know, sometimes the returns aren't what you think. Well, right? the S&P so like, 500. That's, yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, the S&P 500. Somebody put this out on Twitter a few weeks ago. The S&P 500, if, over the last 20 years, if you divide it by the growth in M2 or the mon- monetary base, it's up 4%. So over, you, over what? Over 20 yeah. years. So you can invest in 20 years. You did the right thing. You took your money. You invested it for 20 years. 
and then you cash out after 20 years and the dollar number that you're looking at looks way bigger. But when you take the money out of your stock investment, your S&P 500 index fund, the amount of purchasing power you control in that moment is up 4% over what it was 20 years earlier. That's the biggest thing that I think is the highway robbery that goes on in this system. And the example I always like to use is that in Canada, M2 has gone up like five times since, what is it, year 2000 about till today. So if you had $10,000 in the year 2000 and you just squirreled away in a savings account and it paid like no interest over that time, let's just say it paid no interest. I know you got a little bit of interest, but just for sake of example, you it's $10,000. After 20 years, you take it out of the bank and you have your $10,000 again. Did I say 20 or 10? I thought I said 10. And I stopped listening to you. The beginning it was $10,000. As soon as we started the podcast, I, I started. $10,000 $10, you take out after 20 years. But if the monetary base of M2, if there's five times more Canadian dollars in the system, when you take out your $10,000 20 years later from the bank, you have one fifth of the control of the purchasing power of that monetary base. That's why after 20 years, you saved your money, but you lose so much purchasing power. So you're forced to put it into things like you think that are going to outpace, the, like the stock market, which we just talked about that barely does because it has no leverage. Real estate does if you're talking investment properties because of only because of the leverage, not because real estate in and of itself is so great. It's only the leverage. You put 20% down. Yeah, it allows if the property, ROI to be higher because of the leverage. Yeah, if the, if the property goes up 8% a year. Provided it cash flows and you yeah, cover, you cover it, you cover it's risks, expenses, uh, maintenance. Yeah, all kinds of hassle dealing with it, but it's only one of the only ways. You put down 20%. If it goes up on average 8% a year, and I know averages are difficult over time to yeah, really- You get a 5X multiplier on the eight because you've only, because like, of the leverage you use. Yeah, it's like a 40% return on year one. So you've outpaced the debasement. So it's the leverage on real estate that really is the only thing pushing you ahead. It's not like real estate is just so f fantastic in and of itself. It's the leverage that the average Canadian is able to get. But then there's the risk of interest rates, managing the leverage, managing your cash flow, managing the tenants, managing the property. But you're stuck with this and you have to get into real estate because it's one of the only ways to outpace the debasement of the Canadian currency or the American currency. So it's really about, so yes, and it's these investments yeah, I get it. But then I'm also thinking, so what other ways and how do you get ahead? It's it's really about creating, it goes back to like one of the first books I ever read, Multiple Streams of Income, of the Robert Allen book mm -hmm. way back. But it's streams of income because those streams of income, as provided you have some control over them, as the as the currency value changes, then the stream of income can kind of, the, the, number, the, the value of that can, can stay equal to it. So the dollar number might go up. So if you're if you're charging someone a thousand dollars for something, if you have a stream of income, you can adjust that charge that you charge them. That's the biggest way to kind of keep pace as well, right? And then you know, and that's hard too when yeah. you're, when it's just a salary. That's hard, hard because you're at the mercy of someone else. Now, if you have a business or you can invest in other businesses that spit off cash flow, right? So you we you know you're talking about real estate. I'm just talking about businesses, mm -hmm. same type of thing. Then that's the other way that you can kind of offset that as well over a you know, period of time. I think everybody needs to Google up Canada Money Supply M2, trading economics website, and stare at that chart. And when you see the pace of the line on that freaking chart on Canada's M2 growth, you have to realize you need to outpace the line on that chart if you're going to get ahead financially. Otherwise, the debasement of the currency that you're earning right now is debasing faster than you're growing your net worth. You are falling behind. So if you get like a 5% raise, 5% is like a good raise, but the debasement is like 8% a year, you're, not you're still out. falling behind. And then if next year you don't get a raise, well, the currency debases another 8%, you're falling behind again. And the next year, 8%, you're falling behind again. It's this this hurdle rate that you must achieve, otherwise you fall behind. And that's why there's so many young people right now that are looking at their parents and say, wait a second, how did my mom, have you seen that Twitter a video or TikTok video that went around that said, it's a young person who says, hey, wait a second, how did my parents, who are both teachers, we had a great house, we had like two cars, we had a cottage in the summer, they were on a teacher's income. Here I am now getting married and there's two incomes. We can barely afford rent, Never mind have a family and have a cottage. Yeah, even if I saw that video, I wouldn't admit that I watched TikTok videos, so I'm not gonna 
I don't know. I so it was someone shared it to me on Twitter. <laughs> it was actually great. It was somebody just freaking out about how the system's broken. But unfortunately, I got other things to do with my life than spend hours. No, on I have. A, I uh, the only thing I have to do in my life is point at the central bankers and tell them that they're criminals. <laughs> that's the purpose of my life, and to point out this beautiful new system that's being formed and spend more and more of my time talking about Bitcoin and the whole so, other system. Okay, so I hear your point, and and you're right because we went from a, a society that one one income was enough to to one that two incomes mm. kind of were enough to now well, it wasn't really enough but sure no but well now well maybe it was no one had time at one point. okay sure sure but i'm just saying to to make to quote unquote make ends meet okay but now even to do that the two incomes isn't working anymore and then you have people you know working two jobs and taking up like a side hustle or something else because maybe it's maybe it's even like uber driver whatever it is because they just need a little bit more income to make so like we're at we're, we've gone from one to what 2.25 two and a half it's know? over three it's worse because now when when you have children who are going to be adults in the past 10 years ago, if you had an adult child finish university, a lot of the talk was, well, you know what? I'm going to help them out with a down payment to buy their house when they're ready. So maybe they'll start working for five years and then I'll help them out with a down payment. If you have two or three kids, not only do you have to help them out with a down payment, you might have to help them out with much more than that. If the average house in Ontario, and I know the real estate market's soft as we're recording this, but if the average house in Ontario is what? For like a town home, you pick your city, you're going to be in a suburb. I don't know the Ontario numbers, but yeah, 750. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, let's say a million dollar townhome. You want them to live in Oakville or Burlington or just outside Toronto, are going to do a million dollar townhome, okay? 20% down is $200,000. They're going to be left with an $800,000 mortgage. Who's paying an $800,000 mortgage on whatever career they're getting? And if you have three kids, you're, it's not like you're just going to be able to help them out get their first house. You're not going to be able to. That's the path we're on. That's what makes it so frustrating. You have three kids. How are you going to help them? You're going to need $600,000 to give them just a 20% down. Each of them is going to have an $800,000 mortgage. Mm -hmm. Welcome to your life. What's interesting. So what, 33, what is it, about 32, 33% of the money printed in Canada. So if the M2 supply has been in the last three years. Yeah. Right. So one third of all the money yeah. in the Canadian system is the last three years. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I'm just looking at the chart. That's so here's exactly right. Here's something interesting. So a lot of there's hey, a lot good job, Nick. That's about exactly right. Yeah, there's you're good. No, I'm very smart. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't like Trudeau. So they're gonna be like, look, and, and 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 his opponents use that against him right now. They're like, look what he's doing with inflation. You know, there's one third of the money supply in the last three years. Like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And I'm not a Trudeau fan. I don't like him for a lot of different reasons. Okay. But the way the system's structured, no matter who comes in next, that's not changing. They're, they're not going to bring it down. No, but it's going to get, here's the thing. No, I know. It's no, going to get faster. I, I understand. But what I'm saying is, you know, people look at, they try to point the point at one person as the problem. So they're like, well, this liberal yeah. government's been a disaster yeah. or whatever. It doesn't matter what Bullshit. government gets in next. Yeah. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to have to, it has to keep going. Now they might have a different reason. They might be able to do it a different way and structure it differently. So it's, you know, the, it's kind of more stealthy than what we've seen just over the last couple of years. But the reality is the same thing's got to happen now because, because to your point, it's got to speed up or they got to let something break and then kind of revalue something or they have to just let inflation r rip and, and steal from people there, that's, further. That's right? one thing that they could do. Let inflation rip at like 100% a year for two or three years. And then it brings everything out. Well, because then you artificially, going back to our example of four to one, four dollars of debt for every dollar of, of income. Well, then you're lifting up that dollar by inflating it 100% a year for a few years. So the ratio looks really good. You're like, oh, it's not four to one anymore. Now it's four to four, you know? We can make that ratio look really good, but we need to do 100% inflation for three, four, five years. Yeah, and then anyone that's got savings, they get destroyed, totally wiped out. What yeah. would be the social unrest in 100% inflation for three or four years in this country? 100%? And, and yeah. it would need to be coordinated because you're not going to do 100% inflation in this country for three or four years to fix it unless the US is doing it, the UK is doing it, Japan is doing it, France is doing it. So the whole Eurozone. Stop hitting whole, you're just smashing the table. Alex. I know. Just well, bang. this thing is just, it's just irritating. It's just <laughs> irritating that like the system is so broken and everyone, I guess it's frustrating to me because I see a lot of people who are suffering and a lot of people who don't understand why they can't get ahead or why they can't take a vacation or why they can't pay off their debts. And they're walking around, they come into our offices here at Rockstar, they talk to us. And there's a lot of 
confusion and sometimes self-blame. And I feel like saying, hey, listen, the system's kind of designed to outpace your earning capacity. So yeah, you need to learn the rules of the game. That's on you. But just understand that some of the frustration in your life where you're coming from, it's not because of anything you did. It's almost like you're running on a financial treadmill thinking you're getting ahead, but the treadmill is going faster and faster. So you're getting nowhere and you're actually falling behind. And if you don't keep up to the debasement, you'll just fall right off. That's kind of what I see going on. And personally, when I see Canadians in that situation who come up and talk to us like at events in our office, it really bothers me. I don't know. It just bothers me deep in my core. Yeah, but you can't let it get to you. Like, look, it's everywhere. So you can try to help people, but this isn't a Canada problem. This yeah, is everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So you bother, know, it bothers so, me for the whole yeah, world. That's and then you can see the second order effects is that you need countries to spend more money. So they do silly things that make the problem worse. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, where we, well, what will happen is people will say, well, I'm broke. I need grocery rebates. And everybody's going to vote for the grocery rebate because they want the free check in the mail, but they don't understand that's going to debase their currency and make the whole situation even worse. So if you extrapolate, I guess I've just always been someone to extrapolate out my life. That's why I quit my job. I extrapolated out my life. And I thought when I'm 50, I don't want to be working in a corporate world. So, I, you know, in my early 30s, I'm going to quit. We started Rockstar. I've always just extrapolated out the future and played the long game. And now I'm playing the long game. I think we're set up properly for the long game. But I look around at the next 5, 10, 20 years. And that's what frustrates me. It's not 2023. It's like, holy shit, 2028? If people don't take action now their purchasing power is going to be destroyed and they don't see it. And then people will say, well, yep. Tom, you're being a little bit like, you know, come on, this is like a little doomsday-ish. I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm just doing math. If it doesn't keep increasing at a faster pace, you can't pay off for the old debt. You add in new debt. You have to add in more new debt faster pace. Yeah. And you are being doomsday-ish, but it's, it is what's happened in the past before. Like there have been other times in history where they've kind of run things like this and wiped out savers to mm -hmm. save themselves. So, but it is, it sure comes across like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a lot of people look that it doesn't apply to because if you don't have savings, if you don't have cash savings that you're sitting on, this doesn't apply to you because you're not going to lose out on those savings. What you have to be aware of is how you're going to change your income level to be able to kind of offset some, some of this. And so a lot of those income levels do naturally change to a point to be able to afford certain, certain things as well. Yeah, I think. You, yeah, sure. That's what. Sure. Yes. I just think that the pace we're on now is a little wonky that, uh, yeah, certain people will go. Yeah, but the pace know. is, there's other, there's South American countries right now that are on a wonky pace and they're like, yeah, and people want to leave there. We have clients who left those countries to come to Canada and now the same thing's happening in Canada. But it's not the end of those countries is what I'm saying. No, right? it, it just, it, it, there are second order effects. Like I, I think something Jeff Booth was talking about when he was here really kind of resonated with me as well. When you look at a currency breakdown, look at countries that have poor quality currencies and then look at the lawlessness in those countries. There's usually a correlation. I don't know if it's a causation, but there's usually a correlation with the quality of the money and the quality of the living standards, safety and otherwise in those countries. And that's what I'm talking about. And I think I'm, you're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. But name me a country that has a really debauched currency that has increasing safety standards. How would you look at Croatia? Because their, their currency over the years, like there, there's no real safety concerns there, right? Sure. When it hyperinflated, there was a war. So, well, yeah, but you're talking, I mean, there was a war there for other reasons other than just, correct. That's, that's to be fair. Correct. But, but what I'm saying is I'm, I'm talking more recently, their currency wasn't a stable currency. It was high inflation rate, mm -hmm. right? They, to the point that no one would use it for major purchases. You couldn't purchase a home and get a mortgage in the mm -hmm. national currency, mm -hmm. but yet it didn't really impact there. So, so it, it did. That currency became non-existent and you earned in Kuna. I'm talking about the safety. Yeah, that you mentioned the yeah. safety in the country. The if you and walk I said around the safety country? and living standards in the country. Okay, because if you walk around that There's country, no you're still safe. All the young people left Ireland, Germany. No standard of living acceptable for families in that country. They took a mortgage in Swiss francs. If you stayed in the country, you were forced to take a mortgage in Swiss mm -hmm. francs, but you had to earn in Kuna. And then when the Kuna lost purchasing power over time against the Swiss francs, the, the government had to step in and try to save the population because there, I think it was 2015, 16 ish, 
where they had to save the population because the Swiss franc went up in so much value against the Kuna, people couldn't make their mortgage payments. So yeah, maybe I don't have an example of like a, a, a specific safety issue because I wasn't living there at that time, but from a standard of living person, people, our cousin, all his friends left the country. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's natural. It's no different than what's happening in, in Canada right now. People are leaving Ontario this is what I'm t- and this to go is to a, Calgary. And, and why are they leaving uh, Ontario to go to Calgary? Well, housing affordability. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You don't get an st- increase in living in, st- in living standards in a place where the currency gets debauched. Yeah, I was looking at safety. I was specifically talking well, so, about your safety. We want to, I don't want to bring up my examples of safety right now. But you know the examples of safety that have happened in my life. Yeah, so, I mean, these examples, and this is, this is kind of honestly- Yeah, but a lot of things, you can't boil down a lot of things just to what you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. hard to. I, I, I agree with you that it impacts everything. Like it impacts everything, but I don't agree to, I get the sense that you're like, this is the major cause for all these little things. And I don't agree necessarily with that. No, sure. There's other factors that have to, that can amplify certain things in certain areas. Sure, and I just, things, right? I disagree with that. To me, it's when you have a stable currency and people can have savings and their savings go up in value and they can afford a certain life and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. The second order effects of that are beautiful to the community around it. Mm-hmm. And when you have people who can't save, I don't know anyone who saves, and can't r- really take, you know, they, they struggle to take a two week vacation. They feel like they're working to just pay off debts. And then the currency debases, as you just said, 33% in the last 36 months came into an existence. So they go to the grocery store and they can't buy steaks anymore. And they're looking at hot dogs and hamburgers instead of the steaks that they used to buy. Map that forward five years. I just think that's why you get people leaving Ontario to go to Calgary. That's why you get yeah. hot dogs on the barbecue instead of and of steaks. And to me, that's why you get a population of, of young adults who can't afford not only their first home, they can't afford rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but specifically for like, th- this is what I mean. Like, I agree that that impacts it, but specifically to this area, if our population growth hadn't been what it has been since uh, probably for about the last seven or eight years now, then the the issues that you're talking about, they're not nearly at the same level from a housing perspective. Sure. Right. So yeah, they still sure. exist. There's, there's definitely there's other, other things that other factors. That's, but to me, the base layer of any society is when anyone transacts in anything, the money you're using is part of that 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 that's tran- fair that yeah, yeah. transaction. Like it's at the core of everything. So when we have a population that increases here, and the country and the province and the municipalities have no savings, no savings, so then they have to issue more debt to build a hospital that's in desperate need 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 in the community, which debases the currency even further. Well, now you have a factor. You're right, an external factor, population growth, but we have no savings. So now we have to debase the currency further. No, I, I already said, I agree. Yeah, so, it touches so, it. I'm just saying that there's it. other things that will amplify certain segments of it. It's not the sole, it's, it's part of the cause, but there's segments that then will, you know, really kind of accelerate things. There's certain circumstances that happen that accelerate things in certain sectors or industries. And what I'm the saying is the, the acceleration of those things wouldn't be as bad if, if we had a better currency. Yeah. We're saying the same thing. I'm just, I'm. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, no. No, I guess I'm just kind of thinking it through. And I, I'm just thinking that, yeah, these other factors do apply and do affect the society. But. Yeah, it touches everything. But but then when, when it's no different than when like when COVID hit, right? And they shut down everything. So was there, were there going to be problems already because they shut down everything and you couldn't get, was there going to be inflationary problems? Well, yeah, because you've shut down everything. You're, you've just, mm-hmm. you've, supply went to zero and there's still demand for things. So all of a sudden when supply and demand gets out of whack, that's going to mess everything up. But then you print all this money and you start sending out checks to people. And then what does that do? You've put supply to zero you've not just left demand where it was you've doubled it or whatever the, the number was so then it just amplifies it that much more so two problems there one is to your point the debasement of the currency screwed it up royally the other thing is the fact that they shut down everything when they didn't need to that screwed it up royally too so you combine those two things and then it it just sure it, they, they amplified on each other i i agree it's just i don't like letting anyone off the hook with saying that yeah, the currency's bad, but these other factors really kind of matter too. And I'm like, well, yeah, 
the pandemic and closing things down does suck. You know, people who can't afford rent and, and you know, with a population that's growing really out of control does suck. But the core problem really is the money that we're using. It, it, it's the core and the other things just make it worse. Whereas if I had population growth and I had a stable currency, there would still be problems. There would still be problems, yeah. but the problems are much more manageable because you don't have to solve them with more debt, debasing everybody's purchasing power. Well, it doesn't it won't impact as many other things? Yeah, there would still be there would still be problems, but solving it with more debt. Then all of a sudden, you're trying to solve one problem with more debt. The more debt causes problems in whatever ten different areas. Correct. So you're trying to solve one area by causing by taking the problem there and now spreading okay. it out across. And then the now I have a question for you. Why do we have so much immigration here? Well, yeah, I was going to bring that up before. We're trying to grow. That's how we're trying to grow our economy. We're trying. So yeah, there are two things. We're trying to grow our economy desperately because we have a system that needs more growth because of the money system we use. And where are those people coming from? So people are typically coming from like when our parents kind of came to this country from a country that is a currency that not, is not as good as Canada. And the Canadian currency, even though you and I are, or maybe me more than you, you're being nicer, um, is, is brutal here. The Canadian currency is better than like, if you look at some people who work with us that came from Egypt, Canadian dollar is actually better than what, didn't Egypt debase like 50% earlier this year or like two months ago? I think it was last year, or maybe last year in the beginning of this year, they debased, I thought it was three separate times. Okay. I forget the percentage of each, of each one. So if that wasn't like happening 15, in yeah. Egypt... Would as many people from Egypt come to Canada? Probably not. And if you look at somewhere like India or Pakistan, we should talk to Nadim about this. I don't know the currency in Pakistan. I don't know. I don't know how well the current, what recently has been done with the currency in India because the India economy is strong because of their demographics and stuff. The India economy. But I know they've been playing games. Remember they got rid of their equivalent hundred dollar, whatever their, one of their currencies, the paper currencies they just took out. We should look into because there's so many, I mean, I know specifically for students. Okay. So we don't, we don't know India, but I'd I'd like to know. I'm actually. But how many people do we know here in the last 10 years from South America that when you and I were kids, many fewer people were coming from South America. And how many people do we, we have clients here from Argentina that tell us why they left Argentina mm-hmm. was because they couldn't get ahead because of the currency. So to me, some of the population growth that we have here is if you go to the first order problem, it's the base of the money in those countries that push people out because of the lawlessness, the lack of standards, increasing standard of living that pushes them to here. And relatively, we're good, but we're on this treadmill that's not as good either. Yeah. And people I guess really like corruption like, in the government, because a lot of people will say, well, same corrupt as, government, but that the corrupt government really is here too. Yeah. But it, it is really what you're saying. Like the government is able to be corrupt because of the, they have mon- the money, because printer. of the money. Yeah. Right. Because if they couldn't, if they couldn't just print more money, then they couldn't be as corrupt because they couldn't just splash the money around to be corrupt and yeah. pay off different people and, you know, all those political favors and that type of stuff. Yeah. Right. And I think the reason that I kind of maybe speak the way I am today is maybe I'm tired after the event, <laughs> but I think it just matters to me because I feel like there's a solution here with a new monetary system that's being built out that allows people to transact. That's finite. That's permissionless. You can't censor it. And there's this opportunity for people to leap over, to put a little bit of their savings into it. And shit, man, it's a difficult thing to explain. Like when you explain to people how Bitcoin works and that it's a network and don't look at the volatility of it, you're buying a percentage of something. It's like you kind of appreciate how difficult it is to explain this new monetary system that can be the lifeboat that so many Bitcoiners talk about. Well, the volatility matters, right? So it matters a lot to people because there's certain people. So you're parking some money in there that, you know, you have some savings that you're expecting to leave there five, 10 years, whatever the number is. But some people have some savings and, 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 they might need it in the short term. Yeah. So to park it's it not there, for short term savings. And, and I know. And that's something like, you know, so it's, it's not just different people are in different situations. Right. Mm. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a big part of the problem that it's because of that volatility, people can't, excuse me, can't look past it. I would say to anyone listening that if you want to think about it in a different way, the money that you earn from your business or your salary, when you take that money, you own a percentage of the purchasing power that exists in Canada's money supply M2 as it is today. But tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, when the government just prints more and more money and that M2 grows up, the purchasing power of whatever money you earn today loses its purchasing power because you own a smaller percentage of the Canadian dollar network, if you will. 
Whereas if you take a little bit, $10, $25, $50, and you put it into something like Bitcoin for long-term savings, the percentage of the Bitcoin network or money supply that you're buying is finite. So you own what you own and nobody can debase it on you. So in dollar terms, it might go up and down, but give it, you know, three, five, 10 years. And if the Canadian dollar goes up, you know, gets printed much more quickly than it is today, the dollar price likely, I have no crystal ball, everybody do your own due diligence listening to this, is likely going to be higher? I would think yes in, in for a piece of Bitcoin. So your $25 worth of Bitcoin that you buy today, likely in Canadian dollar terms five years from now, it's gonna be at a different price. I go back to the, the yeah, and that makes sense. And I have a, I have a question around that um, that I wanna come back to. But first I just wanna say like, that's why I go back to this, this streams of income, because if you don't have the, the, the savings to put in there that you're comfortable with for the long term, I think the other way to hedge against this is being able to create streams of income that you're able to control a little bit versus just a side. And I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think that allows you then to play the game and adjust those streams as you continue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's hard. That's hard. It's hard. That's but why, then, but going you, back to real estate, that's why we like real estate because it's a stream of income in a box. Yeah, but the, the stream of income right now because of rent controls is controlled a little bit. And because bit. of interest rates, right. like it makes it all difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but, Okay, so to your point about Bitcoin, like you control this much of the network, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, but because I'm going to put devil's advocate okay. for a second. I like pissing you off a little bit, so I got to say this. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is, so you control this much of the network and then, um, uh, and that doesn't change, right? Because there's a fixed supply and we're not going to get into, you know, all, all the details around that. However, if you look at gold as an example, because mm -hmm. the, the argument for gold would be a very similar argument that we could control this much of the gold supply in the world. However, the gold supply in the world does grow. And they think, you know, best estimates are it grows anywhere from about two to 3%. 1.6, 1.8, two, under two. Okay. So let's say, you know, call it 2%, right? So it grows 2% a year so that conceivably you still owe, own a percentage of the gold mm -hmm. that is then... Um, and it's, you know, the gold grows 2% a year. So you lose that much, right? So you know that roughly that that's what you're losing. But in that instance, and over the last now, what is it? 20 years, almost 20 years, gold price has really gone nowhere, mm -hmm. right? Is it 15, 15 years, maybe I, not, not 20. I think it peaked out 2012 there the for 20, a It's only bit. 20, 10 years. I feel like 11, that was 10 or 11 years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So whatever, whatever, um, but, but it's really gone nowhere mm -hmm. since, since mm -hmm. there. So that, I think it's moving a little bit this week, but you're right. But then I, I see your point. I see your point. Yes. So then that argument, then if people look at that and say, well, look, I just, I look at gold and that didn't really hold true there. Mm -hmm. And I have some reasons why, you know, that I think that that didn't help, but I'm just curious. So what, what are you going to say to that? Cause that, that's, that kind of is counters the argument that you have for Bitcoin. I think historically and in the last 10 years, gold needs to be custodied somewhere. So some central authority, whether it's the GLD fund that I think JP Morgan is now taking custody of or central banks, nobody holds the gold. They think they are buying gold, but when you buy GLD, the ETF that is the gold stock and you're putting demand for gold, well, are you really increasing demand for gold because behind that fund, do they really have the gold that they're saying in the vaults? We only have to hope and pray. Nobody's walking through those vaults all the time and doing a live broadcast of how many gold bars they're adding and subtracting from the supply. So it's so easy for the financial system to manipulate a price of gold where nobody can audit it really easily. And because gold is big and bulky and heavy, no one really can audit it. The beautiful thing with Bitcoin, it's a public open ledger that if BlackRock comes to town in one month or in six months and says, we have a, a BlackRock ETF. Well, if everybody wanted to call their bluff, we could say, hey, where's the wallets? Where are the wallets on the internet so we can all publicly see them in three seconds? We should be able to pull something up and see it. Whereas right now we would have to ask like Deloitte to go into some vaults and say, hey, do you, you know, does the Bank of England really have the gold that it says it has? Because I want you to count the bars because I bought $100,000 worth. I want to make sure that that came off the market and went into the vaults there. Now, if everybody went to the gold dealers across the world and said, hey, physically put the gold in my hand that I want to buy. Oh, shit. I think the price would go way up from what it is today. But I think the financial system, Wall Street, London, they can manipulate the crap out of this so much. Why not? I mean, sell stuff. 
And you don't really have to have it. FTX went bankrupt doing a similar thing, but ultimately, because it's an open ledger, when they got called out, I think it was the crazy Binance guy, I can't forget how it all it went was. down, basically yeah. said, hey, like, yeah, we're pulling our stuff out, where's your Bitcoin? And if they had just put out a ledger that said, yeah, here it is, here's the address, so you, or multiple addresses, whatever it is, you can see we have as much Bitcoin as we say we have. I think the run on FTX, that exchange that went bankrupt, probably would have stopped, but that didn't come out. So I just think Bitcoin it came out. They didn't own any of it. any, and they were was selling it. Was it, was it zero? Zero zero? Or was it like, like one two or something? But yeah, they yeah. had like one. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were selling it to suppress the Bitcoin price. So in the last run up, they were actively selling customer funds to, to suppress the Bitcoin price. That came out in the testimony like yeah. last week. But to me, Bitcoin is special in that the audibility of it is really much easier than gold. And can BlackRock and Fidelity and these guys play games? Maybe, but game theory would tell me that if Fidelity wants to say, hey guys, here's our ledger right here, you can all see it, and we're gonna publish it once a quarter so you can see that our reserves are, are real, I gotta think that more people are probably gonna wanna buy the Fidelity one than the BlackRock one. So I just think the, the opportunity for it to be more honest exists in Bitcoin because of the ease of the ledger. It's public on the internet. We can all view it. Gold, naturally, it's like kings and queens, man. They would like take the gold from the villagers, put it in the vaults, and then protect it with guards. But no one really could check what was in there. You just kind of believed your kingdom had a lot of gold and they kind of robbed you from your gold. Whereas right now, I think we're going into a world that some of the biggest and best players are going to publish transparently. Hey, here's what we have. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when... When or if, I mean, you never know, but I mean, I think all signs point to, towards some sort of ETF being approved in the not too distant future, especially mm -hmm. now that the SEC is not challenging that the grayscale case, they're mm -hmm. not they're not appealing it. It seems like, you know, fairly certain, mm -hmm. right? And there's big money behind it, which ultimately matters mm -hmm. because they printed more money, they gave it to these guys, and now they get to bribe other people to, to approve it, right? Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because that then starts, does it start a different adoption phase? Because, you know, one thing that, Je I think, Jeff I think Booth it, I think always it talks does. about it. it's just the exponential growth and how hard it is for us to see. We're so used to, to seeing linear growth and it's hard for us to picture exponential growth and what it looks like. And, and it, you know, and it's happened. Like, just look back. Well, if you look at the Bitcoin price now today, if we're talking, it's volatile, it's twenty. Uh, $6,000 US or whatever. So. It was behind you. It was 26 and change. $26,000 and change. So, um, I mean you know, three and a half years ago, it was like 8,000, three and a half before that, you know, it kind of goes through its peaks and comes down, goes through its peaks and comes down. But if you look over like 10, 10 years since it came out in 2009, it's the best performing asset that anyone has ever seen. So yeah, it's volatile. And the reason I, I like to try, I try to explain the volatility in this most ridiculous example. I'm like, hey, listen, through the Renaissance era in Italy, when 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 the when the Medici family in Florence took uh, it took some it took Florence out of the Dark Ages after Rome fell and the feudal system went into effect in Italy, and uh, the Medici family started minting coins. I don't think on day one, one you know florin that was minted by the Medici family in Florence had a standard value of ten cows. Like I bet it took three, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years for these coins to be like, oh yeah, that's like a florin. Okay, yeah, I will always trade you about 15 cows for that. But I bet in the first three or four years, kind of like Bitcoin, sure, yeah, yeah. I bet it went from two cows to 15 cows back to five cows and it was all over the place. So I bet the, what I'm trying to say is the florin to cow ratio, Nick, was just as volatile as the Bitcoin to fiat dollar price. See, that solves all the, that's, that's Which all. is just as volatile as the, the fiat dollar to stake price. Yeah, yeah, because there's not enough stakes in, in the world. There's one thing I wanted to bring up here. It was this whole fiscal dominance white paper that came out from the Fed that we saw. Let me just read this thing. Hold on. We've talked about all this kind of stuff. I don't know if there's uh, Daniel's coming in. We'll talk about some housing stuff then. But yeah, there's this this new paper that came out by the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis that they published most of their research for the federal bank system. And in the fourth quarter of 2023, they, they came out with this new white paper or research paper that says fiscal dominance and the return of zero interest bank reserve requirements. And then there's this line in here in the abstract. Listen to this. It says, as a matter of arithmetic, so they're basically saying as a matter of fact, so as a matter of arithmetic, the trends of U.S. government debt and deficits will eventually result in an outrageously high debt to GDP ratio. 
So the trends of debt and deficits, which is what we've been talking about, are going to result in an outrageously high debt to GDP. But when actually will the U.S. hit the constraint of infeasibility? So they're basically saying infeasibility of the system's going to happen, but they're saying when will it hit? And how exactly will apology adjust to it? So it's a pretty... It's a pretty serious little research report that came out here. This article considers fiscal dominance, which is the possibility that accumulating government debt can produce increases in inflation that dominate central bank intentions to keep inflation low. So fiscal dominance is basically saying high rates in a high debt situation mean high rates and more debt. That's fiscal dominance. So they're coming to the conclusion that, hey, when you have the, the last line, actually, of the whole report is this. Ultimately, ultimately, it seems likely that the U.S. will either have to decide to rein in entitlements. So they're going to have to either rein in all their spending that they promise everybody or risk a failure of significantly higher inflation and financial backwardness. So like they're coming out with white papers that says, ultimately, you got to stop spending. We know that's not going to happen. We just know the governments are not going to stop spending. So the other alternative is the risk of a future of significantly higher inflation and financial backwardness. And that's what gets me going. When even the St. Louis Federal Reserve is basically saying our future, I'm going to repeat it, higher inflation ahead and financial backwardness. What the heck? I don't even know what financial backwardness is other than like a struggle. But like it must mean that they're like, yeah, like the math isn't adding up here and it's going to be nasty. And I guess that's the place I'm coming from, Nick, that I feel like when we talked about this stuff in 2012, when we did economic updates in 2012, when we started doing economic updates, the U.S. debt was $8 trillion. Do you remember when we forecasted Ford and I would put lines yeah. on the chart? It looked ridiculous. It looked ridiculous because yeah. I went way up and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to hit $20 trillion. And everyone's like, oh yeah. Well, it seems excessive. It seems excessive. It's, really it's, there? it's yeah. at like yeah. $33.5 trillion. Today. Well, the best thing that keeps getting thrown around in a lot of places is that they added $500 billion. So that's half of a trillion in two weeks. That yeah. was at the end of September, yeah. right? Sounds yeah. in October. Yeah. Five hundred billion in debt in two weeks. Two weeks. Like it's like at that pace, like, like there's just nothing to be said. And I think there's that, yeah, I think that's just it, it's that kind of trend line that gets me gets me going when I see what's going to happen in the next few years. I think that's why I feel really passionate and really serious about it. And because I do think there's this thing out there, this new monetary network, and it's frustrating because nobody has say enough savings to really participate in it and it's volatile, so it scares them off. But I do believe if you could take some long-term, because your point's valid, the volatility matters and you, you know, any money that you need in the next six months, you shouldn't be putting into something that has been as volatile in dollar price as Bitcoin. But if you can have some savings that is a little out there and you could buy $50, $100 a week, a month, every six months, it might be the literal lifeboat as that one system dies, another one emerges. And the best example I have for that is like the phone system. Do you remember long distance, people go to convenience stores and when they were gonna call Europe or they were gonna call Asia, you'd go to the long distance, um, you'd buy those cards. You'd buy those cards. To Chi Chi. That's the one that our oh, dad really? used to always buy to buy to call credit. Okay. The C I C I. I th I'm pretty sure. I, th I feel like that's, okay, that. Okay. So was think it. of that whole system. People were using the phones. Remember, we had the phone in the family room of our house. Our dad would use that card. He would call Croatia. Yeah, he'd call into a vo like, so how'd that work? I'm thinking he would call into a VoIP system, I guess, and then that VoIP system would put him through. That must have been how it worked. Something sure, like that. but it was going through our old phone line system. Yeah. And then one day. He started using the computer to communicate. One day we even tried to get him going on Skype to communicate. Remember he had like a video camera and we yeah, were trying yeah, to communicate. Right. We would see Goran over in Croatia and that kind of thing. And it just transitioned from an old system that used the old phone line to one day in walks this new system and a new system emerges. And I feel like there's this monetary network. Like I have this report from, from River that just came out and it says the lightning network grew by 1,212% in two years. And the Lightning Network, for those, anyone listening, is this new monetary network that's being built on top of Bitcoin. And I can see it growing and I can see the opportunity there. And I guess where my passion, maybe frustration, or some people think I'm a little maybe too frustrated at things, it's because I see the opportunity to transition over, but I see also how difficult it is because you don't have savings and it is volatile and it's like tough to get there for all of us. Mm -hmm but the, the new system is there. And I just don't want it to be too late. Like I don't want it to be 
10 years from now and people are like, oh damn, I wish I really grasped onto that new monetary system earlier. And I think that's kind of, if there's excitement that matches my frustration, it's that. I feel like screaming like, holy shit, this thing's taking off. The Lightning Network on Bitcoin grew 1,212% in two years. You know what's interesting in that transition that you spoke about from an old system to a new system, if you look at the, the phone companies, um, you know, well, you look at some old old school phone, comp- phone companies, and I know there was accounting issues and stuff, but just the technology that wasn't keeping up, and that was Nortel, so they just went under, right? Mm. But then if you look at like the Rogers and Bell, so they were both into mobile phones, but because they had the infrastructure, because basically... When the iPhone came out, that yeah. was going to destroy the mobile phone business because they were selling minutes. Yeah, the iPhone sold data. Data, and then and then when they but the reason they were able to make the transition from the old system to the new system is the way I'm looking at yeah. it is is they had the infrastructure, which at that time those were assets. That was a network. They had the other. I mean, the network's valuable, but I mean they had the infrastructure that was that created and supported that network, which is the assets then that they were able to take over into the new system and there was value and there was more value because there's a network. You're making me right now? No, but I'm just saying, but but this is anyone that has these assets that if you can take your assets and you can, and they still apply to the new system, which so much will, like lumber still matters, steel still going to matter, you know, all this type of stuff. When you can take that stuff over, that's what helps you make the transition. And I know you're talking yeah. Bitcoin and stuff like that, but I'm just looking at it. Yeah. Because you were talking about like phones that. and voiceover IP, yeah. it's just interesting to look at. Because I, they had, it's the only reason they survived or they'd be, and they'd be were, gone. And what were those assets? It was a mobile cellular phone network that you, they oh, had yeah. built out. It was a network, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so now here's something I'll throw at you, is the next transition isn't just a, uh, an information data network. Yeah, it's a monetary network. It's a network that measures the the information or the price ratio of every single good in the world. Mm -hmm. How valuable is that network? And that's where I think someone like Jeff Booth, when he looks at it and you know, he's much calmer and more well-spoken than I am for sure. But I think that's when he looks at it and why he gets so excited about it in his very articulate, calm manner. And where I feel like lifting up the chair over my head and smashing it on the ground and tell everyone, like, don't you see that there's something here? And I'm, and again, Nick, just to be clear, and, and you're really good at bringing this to a level-headed conversation, is that nobody should run and put more into Bitcoin that they can't afford and for less time than it should be invested. And this is a long-term well, Jeff said, And it could, we, it, it could be very wrong. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. 100%. Who knows? Yep. Yeah. Well, Jeff says it well, too. He's like, he, you know, because the way he looks at it is not... He doesn't buy Bitcoin to get rich. Like that's not mm-hmm. the idea for, for yeah, him. And it was, we didn't even talk about price. I think when we were, no, I don't think we at did all. at all, you yeah. know, but that was, you know, it's very clear. Like he's just look, he kind of prices everything in Bitcoin essentially. Like he's just kind of done this transition, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just, yeah, it's just weird. I like the example when he said, listen, it's already happening where a Bitcoin is getting more and more valuable in the world. My lake house used to cost 300 yeah. Bitcoin. And if I sold it today, it would only cost me to, or if I was to buy it today, it would only cost me 50 Bitcoin, meaning that it, every Bitcoin has gone up in value so that his his home relative to the Bitcoin, the price ratio there has completely changed. So Bitcoin's already making things in his life less and less expensive if a decent amount of his net worth is in Bitcoin, which I'm, I'm assuming we can assume that it, it is, right? So that kind of transition's happening. There was one other um, point I wanted to make on this is that in the old system, the foundation of the entire system is debt. So the US Treasury, which is the, the, the base of all the debt, is considered the safest thing to own. And the interest rate that is returned on that is called a risk-free rate. So that if you buy this debt, yeah, well, it's not risk-free anymore. No, it's not risk-free. <laughs> These bonds have lost like a ton of value in the last year. But the idea is that you buy a treasury and the rate of return you get on that treasury is your risk-free rate because the bond is backed up by the U.S. tax dollar payer. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the base of the whole system backed up by the government of the U.S. and the citizens of the U.S. So it's the best. Last year hasn't been great, but that's kind of like through our lifetime, that's been it. But it's still debt that is like, really running the system. Whereas in this new system, if the lightning network does what I think it's going to be able to do, where you can 
own some Bitcoin, which would be the base of the system, and then you can put it onto the Lightning Network to offer liquidity to the network to make this network exchange monetary transaction and value at a more efficient pace, and people are using this Lightning Network and it grows. If it can do what I think it's going to be able to do, where you can keep custody of your keys or the control of ownership of your Bitcoin, but also earn some sort of transaction fees, this to me has the potential to be the new risk-free return, almost like you're parking your money to help the liquidity of the entire network and in exchange you get small transaction fees back. It could be really, really exciting. Whereas not only does the Bitcoin that you own go up in val purchasing power over time, that you can use it for things like that where you don't lose custody of it, you control it, but you're still participating in the network, offering liquidity to the network and getting fees back for that, wow. That to me is like mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And I have no, I don't have the technical expertise. I'm about to read this report. I don't have the technical expertise to understand if that's coming down the path, but it seemed like with their discussion with Jeff Booth and what some of the companies he's invested in, it seems, it seems like, like that's it coming. Is, yeah. So that's kind of exciting. It's just, how do you explain that to, to everyone? I think really if, if this thing gets built, continues to be built out. So the, the, the Bitcoin network and the layer twos on top of it and everything, I think, I really think it gets exciting in a lot of ways because you just realize what becomes possible when you, if you ever start using this network in, in the smallest way, um, it's very hard to go back to the, the old network. Like, like when I have to walk into the bank to do something now, I'm like, this is so just the whole process is so antiquated. Well, they even like, tell you not to come in. Last time I went in for a wire, did you know what TD, they apparently on our web banking, you can do the wires now on the mobile I I interface. That, yeah. I haven't tried it yet, yeah. but they were actively promoting me not to come in. They're like, you know, you could do this wire like I'm online. I'm like, really? I had no idea. So we got to check, check that out. But if, if this, think how many, think when you wire money, how many intermediaries oh. there are, taking for, fees for the exchange and then, oh. and then the wire and then the exchange back and all, there's all sorts of stuff all taking fees versus and then you could try to send it to someone and then you know a matter of, of really seconds you know you can just see that it's been it's been sent, sent and confirmed halfway across the world like if we had this one the head of money. paypal's um i transaction division or head of whoever was running the PayPal interactions. I think on the What Bitcoin Did podcast, he was just on there talking about he's dedicating his life to Lightning Network and making this work. So a lot of people- Yeah, same are, with Jack Dorsey, who was in the finance yeah, side of that's things right. before too, yeah. right? So they, they see, like the people that see this type of stuff, are, it'll be interesting too, like, so see in, uh, on Twitter, X, uh, Musk is doing, they're doing a trial in a couple of countries where they're charging users $1 a year. Yeah, I just and saw that's that. how they're trying to get rid to of start bots. the yeah. bots. Um, but to do that, you have to verify your phone number and then they're going to have to verify a credit yeah. card or something like that. So I just wonder if, if something like that gets to a point as well where they use something like this and then you just you remove that barrier altogether. Yeah. Yeah, it seems silly at this point to use the U.S. dollar for a global network. Well, I network. wonder how much pressure there is for for verification oh, stuff from the on the from the government. Do you think tons. the government really wants an anonymous social media site being able to kind of float around to verify like on something like Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. but anyway, it'll be interesting there, to see. But if this, and then I guess the last thing I'll say on this is that if this brings on a world where our elderly can have savings that go up in value. Oh. That would but be then amazing. they're roaming around the world, passing on wisdom, having time to spend with grandchildren, having time to spend with their families in peace, with peace of mind. Yeah, That to me, instead of coupon clipping and or scared they can't afford their rent, scared they don't have enough money to live out the rest of their years, to have a money that would support them, that goes up in value yeah. instead of a money that loses value over time. Like if you're retiring right now, you have to bake in how much inflation into your projections over the next 20 years. The Federal Reserve saying it's going to be a lot. The world, the type of living standards we'd have in that world, to me, change greatly. Yeah, so yeah, came, no, that that would be amazing. A nice positive end there. Nick. That that would be well. You toned it down a little bit. Yeah, pretty well, because angry. it's like I don't get well, scared. I'm not scared of you. I'm, I'm taking Ruben's line. I think I'm not scared of you. I think I just <laughs> when I look around, you just look at around. You're going, what is going on in the world right now? So much of it seems like a mess. Maybe it's just yeah maybe. yeah you got to focus on both sides because there's so much of it that's good too. 
I know. I agree. Listen, I'm a positive person, but I I, I think I'm to the point where I don't want to brush brush aside the stuff that's wrong anymore. You're just being direct. It's fine. You have to be direct because if you're going to try to get through to people, if you want to, if you're sometimes if you're trying to communicate a point, you have to be direct. And I mean, I've for years. I mean, I've always been accused of being very direct. No, you've been great at it. Not good at sugarcoating stuff, but I mean, it's just like it's just the way you communicate. So it's not a bad. Yeah, I don't look at it as a bad thing. And do I think we're all going to get through this? Heck, our family in Croatia got through hyperinflation and war everything everyone's going to get through everything there's no doubt in my mind can there be some weird times in life absolutely yeah but can everybody get through what's going to happen in the next few years? absolutely i'm just i guess i see i see it coming and it I'm, feels like it's pretty it, 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 it's nearer than it ever has for you it seems pretty clear that this is the path that we're going down you know so yeah. and, and and it's fair because it's it's hard to see any very feasible that have a decent degree of probability other paths yeah right it's hard to say and it feels that you know so so yeah so you're coming from a yeah it all makes sense you're coming from a good place i just gotta be a pain in the ass no no it's good it's good all right (laughs) thanks little brother nicholas kradza over and out hey everyone hopefully you enjoyed that episode of Nick and myself recapping a whole bunch of topics that were discussed at the recent Your Life, Your Terms event. You can learn more about becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. We have a newly updated website for you there explaining all the benefits that you get out of becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member. That URL again is rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for this episode. Until next time, Your Life, Your Terms.